Well, the RBA has lost its patience and wants to move fast, but how fast and how far? We'll look at both of those questions today and why the markets might be getting ahead of themselves on this. Meanwhile, big bond moves as a normally fairly dovish member of the Fed talks about a fast bond sell-off and more sanctions being talked about as well. Maybe coal from Russia and a stop to Russian investment if anyone is actually investing in Russia right now. It's Wednesday, the 6th of April, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the big moves this morning are in bonds. Ten-year treasuries are up 16 basis points to 2.55%. The front end has seen yields move less, just eight basis points for two-year notes. Ten-year yields rising sharply across Europe as well, up 19 basis points for Italy, 15 in France, 11 for the UK and Germany. Compared to that, Aussie ten years are up just two basis points, but the move is at the front end, up 11 basis points for two years after that big switch around from the RBA yesterday, which we'll look at shortly. Uh, the US dollar has climbed higher again up 0.4% on the DXY the Aussie is up half a percent to 75.8 US cents it got up to 76.6 earlier in the session so we are looking at the highest level since June last year whereas the euro is down 0.6% in fact the Aussie euro cross if you're interested in that almost hit 0.7 euros which I think would be the highest in five years and equities well the rally is over for now 0.8% down for the Dow 1.3% off the S&P 500 at close and tech which we questioned earlier in the week as to whether it was having too much of a a rally, Uh, it's down with 2.3% off the Nasdaq. Discretionary spending is also down, as you might expect, with inflation rising because people haven't got as much money to spend. And the Eurostoxx 50 down 0.8%, but the FTSE up three quarters of 1%. And oil today, well... It's down. I pause for effect because it could have gone either way, couldn't it? As we've seen every morning. But this morning, WTI is down 2.6%, uh, uh, just below $101. Brent down 2.1% to a bit above 105 uh, We'll talk about the RBA in just a moment. First, though, uh, this big move up in bond yields and this fall in equities. NAB's Taylor Nugent joins me in Sydney for the first time on the morning call. Another first-timer. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Taylor. So, Lael Brainard from the Fed, who's historically been fairly dovish, has been talking uh, over the last 24 hours about rate rises. But more importantly, she's been focusing on reducing the balance sheet as soon as next month and quite aggressively, uh, faster than last time, she said. So lots of government bonds are going to find their way onto the open market. So that presumably explains the moves across the, the yield curve. But it's interesting that she's talking about this when we really don't know how well this is going to work. Hi, Phil. Yeah, I think I think that's right. So the moves globally in yields really kind of started yesterday in our session with the RBA, which, as you flagged, we'll get into a, a little bit later, um, with um, Australian rates moving higher um, on, on that kind of hawkish pivot from the RBA. And that theme really continued through Europe and the US as well with the, the comments from Brainard that you mentioned helping US yields higher um, and markets really focused on the commentary around balance sheet reduction specifically. So um, Brainard sounded resolutely hawkish in in her comments um, saying that rates um, and monetary policy needed to get to a more neutral position later this year um, and also said that the pace of balance sheet reduction needed to be considerably more rapid than it was last time. And so just if we remember back in 2017 to 2019, um, the Fed um, began ran off at a fairly slow pace, starting at just $10 billion a month. And it took a year to ramp up to the maximum of $50 billion a month. And so 
certainly that's kind of leading into expectations that the balance sheet runoff will be much faster this time around and Brainerd kind of opening the door for that to start as early but as we, the, we, the we really don't know how that's going to work out I mean I guess there's so many things we don't know how that's going to play out uh, we don't happen you know we don't know really if you're trying to reduce the balance sheet at that speed is it going to work uh, we we don't know whether recessions looming, uh, you know, bond yields uh, keep fluctuating in and out of uh, of inversions. Uh, we've got a steeper curve today, so that problem's over for now. But it'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> and I think um, I think Raynard's comments kind of potentially feed into some of that steepening in the curve as well. With yeah. um, with the the quantitative easing, one of the channels there is um, theoretically to put downward pressure on those kind of longer end bond yields, and so some steepening on the back of expectations for kind of faster um, balance sheet reduction are perfectly consistent with that move. But as you say, they're kind of moving around in and out of inversion kind of day by day. Hard to keep up, isn't it? And then, of course, you know what's happening in Ukraine and uh, more talk of sanctions, maybe a coal ban from Europe, the, the G7, US and G7 talking about banning all new investments in Russia. I'm not sure anyone would be investing in Russia right now, making any new investments. But uh, I mean, will more sanctions work? I mean, it seems like it just hurts Europe the more the sanctions are introduced i i think that's right but um i think the the kind of the the purpose of the sanctions are not to kind of be costless for for um europe and I, it seems like there is some willingness to to bear some economic pain in order to achieve those geopolitical aims coming out of europe although so far not 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 unlimited um i think you make an interesting point about kind of how binding new sanctions on inward investment and other things will be given kind of what we've seen so far is that the economic impact of these sanctions can be kind of broader than the the exact written word in the sanctions with companies self-sanctioning for their own PR reasons or for compliance reasons or other things that has meant kind of broader impacts and kind of the specific written word in in the sanctions. Um, but in terms of the, the new news flow overnight, um, kind of looks like there's there's further push out of Europe to kind of expand these sanctions into into energy, not hitting kind of oil and gas imports just yet, but um, news that kind of coal will be added to the the list of things that won't be imported from Russia. And so given given all of that news of um, sanctions kind of broadening into energy, um, oil prices have been fairly well behaved, as you noted earlier, actually falling mm. on the day. Um, but we have seen coal prices increase by up around 6% um, on, on the back of that news. Well, no, no, no sanctions on gas until the uh, until the weather warms up. Uh, then, then it might be a different story. But I mean, we uh, Europe is definitely getting hit. I mean, we are seeing. I mean, before this even started, we were talking about the difference that was emerging between Europe and the United States in terms of coming out of COVID because the US had sort of uh, eased restrictions that much faster. But now it, it's clearly the war that's impacting as well. So industrial production in France yesterday actually fell. I think it was expected it was going to grow. It actually fell 0.9 percent in February. But the and p services PMIs, which were showing sort of, uh, you know, maybe we don't look at those too often, but they were showing growth across much of Europe. But in, input prices, particularly in France, rising sharply. So more inflation signals. Uh, so, you know, and then on top of all that for France, of course, they've got a presidential election coming up at the weekend as well. Perhaps not the best time for President Macron because Le Marine Le Pen uh, is closing in on him, as you might expect when uh, people are going through uh, such uncertainty and turmoil and, and a cost of living push. So Europe's not looking that great, whereas in the United States, the ISMs uh, for March up, new orders up for non-manufacturing, unemployment jumping from 48, 48.5 to 54. 
Uh, so it really is. Uh, you know, the, that, the, the dichotomy, the difference between uh, Europe and, and the United States is getting bigger by the day, it seems. I think I think that's fair. But so, as you mentioned, industrial production in France did fall. It was down 0.9% in the month. But just for context, that's after a, an upwardly revised, fairly large 1.8% increase in January. So it's, um, it's easy to kind of overstate the, the hit there. And I think, as you mentioned, kind of out, out of services, PMIs, although those inflation pressures are, are present, and in, all in all, they do seem to be holding up fairly well, given the given the backdrop um, that Europe's facing at the moment. Um, and out of the US, um, the, the, that services PMI um, from from ISM um, rose one point eight points to to fifty eight point three, which was broadly in line with expectations. And kind of the themes coming through in that survey are similar to to what we've been talking about for some time. Those inflation pressures certainly coming through. Businesses noting capacity constraints, logistics challenges, and and inflation. Pressures pressures there. Um, but as you mentioned, the, the employment sub-index rising 5.5 to 54 is is a good news story. And that kind of mimics what we saw out of the manufacturing version late last week that shows that the, the fall off in the employment sub-index in the, in the previous survey was really just kind of a, an impact of, of Omicron and labor, so, labor supply disruptions as much as it was any kind of weakening signal for, for labor demand. And so it looks like it was the that lower COVID case load and relaxed public health um, restrictions over that period that kind of have supported the employment sub-index in that survey. So is it all good news if we see that employment index going up or is there a concern that actually in a tight labour market that's just going to add to the inflation pressures, which is why the you know the Fed is eager to move so swiftly? I, I think there's part of that. Certainly kind of the, the, P, the ISM was kind of one indicator that was a bit different to what we've seen in, in a lot of the other employment indicators that suggested it might be a bit softer in that services side, but we've kind of seen in today's survey that that was indeed kind of a an incorrect steer and that kind of that broader story of very very hot labor demand in in an already tight labor market looks to be continuing right well i'm sure that's played into the decision by the rba as well they lost some of their patience yesterday rates sooner rather than later obviously as tapas was flagging yesterday morning on the podcast they've looked at the fed experience and are worried about moving too slowly but are they swinging too far the other way let's talk to nabs ivan Kuhn about yesterday's announcement so are they signaling to to lift rates and, and if so when precisely how far do they expect to go and are they now in tune with market expectations there's a few good questions to start with uh well look they haven't said exactly when but there has been a major major shift in their language this month versus last month in truth that's been evolving uh since late last year um and in november though they were still signaling no rate rises before two, 2024 so it's been a very rapid uh, change. Um, the wording this month really said, you know, it sets the scene for a rate rise as soon as next month, in fact, if the CPI was was really, really high. Um, markets really will be thinking about June when, when you've got both the CPI and the next wages print. Um, and so I think any time in the next couple of months, it, it's likely. Now, markets, of course, have been way ahead of the RBA. I mean, the RBA is the last person to, you know, arguably um, realise that rates uh, will be going up um, this time. Uh, and in fact, the markets are way, way too far, I, I would suggest, yeah. in terms of 
how far they're pricing interest rates to rise in the next two years. And yeah, the RBA is not wholly committed. I mean, obviously, do, I mean, do you think it is the, the fact that the Fed has been looking at the, uh, the, the inflation levels there? Because we don't have the same problem, obviously, that they do in the United States, or we don't yet. So are they just looking at the Fed and thinking, well, you know, as we were saying yesterday on the podcast, yes, we do have to move. Is that is that what's driving this? Or are, are- No, I don't think so. I mean, the, the Fed... Um, is is not particularly relevant and uh, they will always act on Australian domestic fundamentals. Um, and I think that's what's been changing. If you look at what's happened, the unemployment rate has already printed full. Remember, their forecast was that wouldn't happen till later this year. Um, we think it'll print under four when the data for March comes out later this month. So they're six to nine months ahead on that forecast. They would have a pretty good idea of what the March quarter CPI is going to look like when it prints uh, in uh, you know just uh, under three weeks or just over three weeks, I think. And that looks like that will be half a percent higher than they forecast a month ago. Uh, and all the indications are the, the CPI is running really, really hot. Right. So, but wage um, inflation? So I mean, we're not seeing that like other parts of the world. So, I mean, there's a chance no, if that comes in soft, could they still hold off? I think I think they've, they've really changed. I mean, the, the patience they had was being given by wages remaining low and inflation remaining a lot lower than the rest of the world. Now, that other part, the inflation part's changed. Um, I think we'll see our core rate close to four mm. mid-year, headline close to five. Um, that's that's not that different from the US, um, given we don't have used car prices in our, our CPI. Um, the wages isn't growing as fast, but you know the fact that the unemployment rate's dropping um, is is a good sign, and I think the big thing is rates are at point one. They're at emergency settings. They've got unemployment down to full employment or pretty close to it, and now they want to keep it low. and And they've been talking about the balance of risks changing, and and that does happen. And you could move to a less accommodative policy setting, but still be accommodative, yeah. and and wages could still pick up. But that's not. So I think the, that's the change. Yeah. Well, that, and all of that makes perfect sense. But that's not where the markets are. They, they've got they've got an expectation of a terminal rate of three uh, percent or more that's what the, the markets are pricing for uh, and over the next couple of years if you look at you know when we were last around that level well it really took from 2002 to 2008 together 64 months whereas you know now we're looking at maybe 18 or 19 months to reach the same level that's not sustainable is it, it yeah, look I think that one looks too far too aggressive uh, as you said we've seen it happen uh, before, but that took a lot longer, and the economy was strong, and unemployment kept falling through that period uh, in the early 2000s. So it, we could get to three or three and a quarter for cash rates. But I think that would take a three or four year time period. Well, I'm sure. Look, I'm sure the RBA is going to have a lot more to say about this. And in fact, we'll get a chance, won't we, Taylor? There's a couple of members of the RBA that are in front of Senate estimates later on today. We do, yeah. So, um, added to the calendar, um, fairly, fairly recently, um, the RBA's newly announced Deputy Governor Michelle Bullock and um, Assistant Governor for um, Financial Markets Chris Cantor appearing in front of the the Senate Economics Committee for budget estimates. So, unlikely they will be kind of volunteering too much of a discussion on monetary policy in that context, but there's always scope for kind of the questioning to, to reveal something interesting there, given that there's not much scheduled from the RBA in terms of speeches over the next few weeks. And lots of questions, I would have thought, after, you know, such a, a, a magnificent 
pivot uh, that we saw this week. Look, we also get more Fed speakers as well, and they do seem to be holding us a, a big sway on the bond markets in the United States at the moment. We get German factory orders, they get the Keijing PMIs for services in China, which is expected to dip below 50, and the FRMC minutes. So quick comment before we finish. Any Anything of those that you want to comment on before we go? I think, yeah, the thing to watch out for in that list is really the, the FOMC minutes and, and Powell after the, mm. after the March meeting did signal that there would be details of the discussions that were well advanced on, on balance sheet runoff and so on the back of Brainard's comments and the interest in, in the pace of balance sheet runoff. Um, there could be some hints there about about what kind of numbers the the FOMC is thinking about and and how live May is for for the start of that process. Great, well, we'll leave it there for now. Great, Taylor, great to have you on board. Look forward to talking to you again many times over many years. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Phil. And that's the morning call for this Wednesday morning. Uh, Gavin Friend joining me from NAB in London tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>